Dietrichson here, back with you for another Bible Thump, and we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark. This is another parable and a really uh, kind of in-your-face, intense parable um, that has a very specific message to a very specific people in Jesus' day. But, like all parables, this isn't just intended for people in Jesus' day, it's intended for us. It's for our good, and there's good news found in this rather intense parable Um, And Jesus isn't just speaking a word of warning to the religious leaders of his day. He's speaking a word of warning to us. Um, And warnings, by the way, like, I think sometimes we all have this tendency to get really, like, defensive when someone gives us a warning. It's like, oh, I knew that. Like, like you're driving, right? And your significant other or your friend or whatever is like, hey, slow down. Like, you're about to hit that car in front of you. Or, um, like tells you you need you know you need to to be more careful or something like we get really defensive about that i know i can uh but isn't that an act of love and care um the person warning you probably doesn't want you to get hurt probably doesn't want to get hurt themselves um warning is kindness oftentimes now, of course sure there's warnings that are unwarranted and unfair and judgmental Um, that certainly happens, but most warnings are intended for our good. And I think this is one of those moments. This is, this is a warning that challenges us to think like, who is Jesus to us? Uh, how do we perceive him and how do we perceive his work in the world and in our lives? And what does it mean to participate in his kingdom? That's what all the parables are about, but this one's going to give us some, some specific guidelines in that regard. So Let's read it. It's a it's a really interesting, very on-the-nose parable. I think you'll pick up what I mean as we read it. So uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He, Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, and dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At the harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, some they beat, and others they killed. Still he had one to send, a beloved son. Finally he sent, sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do when he, when he comes back, when he returns? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left and went away. All right, so um, this parable is like super on the nose, right? Um, It's a message from Jesus to those who are plotting his demise. Um, He's warning them that they are missing the action and work of God in the world. They're missing the point. They're in a very dangerous, precarious position. Who is the son? It's Jesus, right? He's been teaching and preaching about his coming impending death in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders, uh, at the hands of Rome. Um, and I think this passage also really clearly um, implies 
what's coming soon too, which is that a lot of the Jews, not all of them, but a lot of the Jewish people in Jesus' day were going to to reject him as Messiah and King. He would go to Jerusalem and die, and they would reject him as their king. They would turn their backs on him. Um, and what would happen is the vineyard, um, which I think is a symbol of Israel, um, is going to be handed over to others, which I think is uh, points us forward to an era where um, the gospel is going to go to Gentiles, that um, people outside of Israel are going to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God, to be God's people. Um, and so uh, there's a few things I want to draw out of this. Um, the point of the parable, like we said, is, is really obvious. And I think the point is to awaken us to the reality of how Jesus established his kingdom on earth. And how would that be? Through death. Through suffering through rejection. Um, the This parable too, by the way, I think kind of makes us think back to another parable where we saw um, uh, another agricultural parable in Jesus' Jesus's ministry, the parable of the soils, right? And so in the parable of the soils, there's this seed that falls on rocky ground along the path and so on. There's there's these three soils that um, that show some promise, but then end up, end up being no good at all, right? And then there's this final soil that that, that bears fruit, thirty, you know, and and is beautiful and is makes makes everything better, right? Um, and I think we expect if you as you read this parable, you expect there to be finally some hero, some good thing that comes out of this, and it never happens. It never happens. This, so this is stands in stark contrast to the parable of the soils as a parable of warning um, that most of us, that most people, um, or a lot of people at least their posture towards Jesus is that one of rejection, of choosing not to embrace him as Messiah and King and Lord. So I think this is a parable that challenges us to think about what keeps us from accepting and embracing Jesus. Um, but the parable also called attention to what Jesus was really doing. He was not bringing a new message. The initial messengers that are rejected, the, the messengers, the servants that the owner of the parable sends to the tenant farmers, those, I think, really clearly represent the prophets. And so Jesus is making a statement. He's saying, you have received messages from God. You've received the word of God from the prophets again and again and again. And what has your posture been towards them? It's been one of rejection. And so this idea that people just can't get behind Jesus or can't be, get get behind what God's doing in the world um, like goes way back, right? And it's this is the human story. This is our story. We live in a culture where the, the predominant posture towards God is one of rejection, of not being able to get behind his kingdom, his priorities, his plan, um, his mission. And so um, Jesus, is, it's really important for us to know that he's not bringing in a new message that was like totally different from the prophets. Uh, Jesus, like the prophets, was rejected, and rejecting the prophets, Jesus is saying in this parable, leads to ruin. It makes our lives worse. Um, Jesus, instead, is bringing the law and the prophets to a new era of fulfillment. Um, Jesus not only reveals more of God and his plan and his kingdom, but also what it means to live inside his kingdom and live as his people. So I'll say more on that in a minute. But first I want to notice, like, what what, what happens when we reject um, 
when we reject Jesus? And what, what are some examples of ways we might reject the good news? So here's just some thoughts off the top of my head. When we prioritize influence over people, when our influence, our stature is more important than the people around us, when we emphasize selfishness over self-sacrifice, when um, we refuse opportunities to put our needs and desires aside to lift up and serve and make the lives of other people better, um, when we emphasize and celebrate pride over humility, when my primary concern in my relationships with others is how they see me and value me and treasure me and lift me up, um, when we see people as tools to be used for our own pleasure, for our own gain, financial or, or influential or otherwise, when we see people as obstacles to our own comfort and joy. So I think um, those are just some examples of how rejecting Jesus as king leads to ruin. Remember, Jesus is sta- the, the message of this parable is that Jesus is, a st- it, it ends with Jesus saying, I'm the cornerstone. He quotes Psalm 118 to say, I'm the cornerstone. I'm the one, uh, you know, the cornerstone of the temple. So I am the one upon which like a relationship with God hangs. Like it's all on me. If you want a relationship with God, you look to me, you rely on me, you trust in me, you you set me as first, right? That's what he's saying. And and what and how does he establish himself as that type of king? He establishes himself as that type of king by giving himself up, by being killed by the very ones he came to love and serve and save. See? You see how radically beautiful, countercultural, unique the message and ministry of Jesus was and is. There's no one who serves and loves like him, period. And so if we want to be a part of that, we want to get on board with that, um, we need to embrace him. And we need to recognize these various areas where we're tending to reject him as cornerstone and king. And it comes from those desires of our heart for influence, for importance, for wealth, for comfort. Um, it's not wrong to desire those things necessarily. It's wrong to prioritize them over others, over people made in the image of God. It's wrong to prioritize them over Christ and his kingdom, which is all about giving and self-sacrifice and investing in others, even if it costs us. Because listen, it will. It will. Participating in Christ's kingdom will, will cost us something. So I think this parable leaves us with a challenge to embrace Jesus as the cornerstone, as the self-sacrificial king. It challenges us to embrace him as Lord, as the one who's building a new and better kingdom. It's not completely new. It's more of like a, a renovation project, right? That's the type of kingdom he's establishing. He's bringing heaven to bear on broken earth. And as he does, he begins to open our eyes to all the ways that we're broken, all the ways we need to repent from living selfishly. Instead, give of ourselves for God's glory and the good of our neighbors. To look for ways we can help others flourish and find joy and satisfaction in Christ and who God made them to be. So let's embrace the good news, not only about who Jesus is as Messiah and King and Lord, but let's embrace the good news about the life He makes possible. How much happier would you be if you could let go of this incessant need to get ahead of other people? How much happier and fuller would your life be if you could give up this incessant need to like get other people to 
to to please you and 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 make your life full and instead see who god's made you to be as someone who has so much potential to bring life and joy to others by pointing them to jesus how much happier and fuller would your life be if you saw jesus as king as the one who gives you life and joy that is beyond circumstance that is beyond how you're received and seen a love that surpasses understanding a love that is deeper than any love that's worth thinking about right well let's let's think about that today together you up for it let's do it thanks so much for your time we'll see you again next for the next bible thump